0: It's the Break Braincast, Braincast, the pop break dot. Welcome to The Breakcast, the official podcast of ThePopBreak.com. I am one of your hosts for the day, um, Josh Sonecki, and I am joined as usual by my brother and co-host Aaron. Aaron, say howdy. Hello. Nice. And today we will be talking about the 20th anniversary of The Road to El Dorado, um, a movie that you have most likely forgotten about, Um, not to justify why we're talking about this, but. Aaron, you might need to justify why we're talking about this.
1: Well, um, for one, uh, I was having, when I was scheduling this, uh, I was having trouble finding April movies. And that's actually kind of interesting because I I was basically going through all the fives. So 10th anniversary, you know, 15, like the only thing I didn't do was 5th anniversary because I thought that was a little too recent um and april just wasn't a month that <laughs> there was really anything for um and even this is technically cheating because this movie came out at the end of march
0: yeah april is not typically known for it being movie season
1: right de- definitely may once you get to um
0: memorial day yeah that's really when you kick off the, the summer movie season. So spring is not really the time for its blockbusters.
1: But, um, you know, another reason that I picked this movie is despite a lot of people probably forgetting about this movie, I have still heard people talk about it. Um, people have, you know, mentioned, you know, all like that sport from that, you know, El Dorado or, you know, my sister and me could, you know, quote the whole opening thing between Miguel and Tulio. It's, it's, it's stuff like that. It's just like and th- things I wouldn't have expected from a movie that, in a lot of
0: ways, is so overlooked. That is a good way of describing it. I would definitely not go so far as to call it a cult classic, but I will say that people of a certain age probably remember it fondly
1: oh yeah um there, there was somebody else who i know who has a they they like the you know you know something from a facebook page that's all just road to el dorado memes
0: i i had no idea that
1: existed yeah well, yeah okay no, then yeah yeah
0: well yeah so for, for some people, this, this movie continues to but but resonate but, then.
1: Yeah, no, but I think that, you know, if you're above the age of 30 or, you know, maybe a little over 30, you probably don't remember this movie.
0: Yes. It's I mean,
1: you mean, maybe there's a handful. I actually mentioned this movie, The Bill. He said that this movie was a, a deep cut that a. Uh, so he remembers, but you know, I, I I highly doubt that most people his age and not to call Bill on being older, which seems to be a requirement for all of these podcasts. But I, I doubt that many people, you know, of a certain age remember this movie. Um, when mm. when our uh, when I was watching this, actually, our uh, our mom said, Oh, you're watching Hercules, nice, <laughs> yeah, so nice.
0: Uh, actually I just watched Hercules the other day. Nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about this movie without thinking about when it came out and who the target audience was. So I guess while we're on that point, do you remember the first time we saw this?
1: I believe that, and I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that we rented this movie. I can't tell you exactly how old we were i want to say that it was roughly around the time it came out so whenever it hit home video so we would have been probably around 8 or 9 it might have been a little later but yeah we didn't see this movie in theaters i'm pretty sure we rented it um um and uh i remember not being super impressed with it, honestly. Um, maybe mm. it just didn't have that Disney magic. Um, but I was just like, okay, this is a movie.
0: Yeah, I my recollection is similar. I'm pretty sure we didn't see it in theaters. And I somewhat remember watching it on that tiny box TV we had with the built-in VCR. You see,
1: <laughs> I have a different re- recollection that we watched oh. it in the family room on a bigger TV. But you know, I, I could be mixing up with another movie. I mean,
0: who knows? Who knows? Uh, it's,
1: it's, if you're looking
0: for an answer, there there is no definitive answer. <laughs> the The answer is lost. The time, um, but yeah. So it it was not a movie that either of us were particularly in love with, but. I think we both enjoyed it enough.
1: Yeah. I mean, it kept us quiet for half an you know hour and a half.
0: Yeah. yeah and I, I think there are some memorable things about this movie. Um, you, you mentioned the, the, the sport they played, but I don't, before we get into that, just, I will kind of go through some other things because I think it's important to paint the picture. Um, so, just a brief rundown of the plot. So um, it follows two con artists, Miguel and Tulio. Um, Tulio is voiced by Kevin Klein and Miguel is voiced by Kenneth Branagh. Branagh, I, can Brana, I believe. Brana, Branagh, Branagh, we're going, Branagh. We're going to go with Branagh. Branagh. Brana. Okay, I'm going to say it a thousand different ways by the time we're done recording this. Um, I love him, but I just can't say his name for the life of me. Um, but it follows two... Um, con artist in 1519, um, starting in Spain, um, and basically they go on a quest to El Dorado, although not entirely um, intentionally getting there. Um, and it looks at their misadventures as they make it to El Dorado, and then are mistaken for um, gods by the um, Aztec. I,
1: I, I, I don't think I was reading that it was supposed to be a fusion of the Mayan and Aztec cultures. They kind of played loose with it. Um, okay.
0: So by the, 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 the tribe native to El Dorado, um, they are, uh, mistaken for gods. And then it's about their attempts to use that mistake to get rich and get as much gold as they can to bring back to Spain. Um, While having to navigate the weird uh, political situation in El Dorado between the chief and the high priest, which makes it sound a little bit more Game of Thrones than it really is. But I think that's that's a pretty basic. I mean, it's not a very complicated movie when it comes to plot.
1: No, a lot of that is laid down in like the first like 25 minutes of the movie
0: yeah it 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 doesn't take too much time to get going uh while we're talking about get going um I do want to start by talking with the opening sequence where they just talk about what the heck Eldorado is. What did you think of that?
1: um right it just has like a little musical sequence there's a little song uh I liked it i was it's a little short. It's not even really like a full song. <laughs> I mean I, I guess compare in comparison it's sort of like the gospel truth to Hercules if we're going to mention Hercules again but it has not like a full bodied song um but it has very bright visuals um I enjoyed it for what it
0: was Yeah I didn't think about the Hercules comparison but that's that's pretty spot on
1: Right it's not as lengthy as maybe something like Circle of Life but I, I think that's like a good comparison.
0: Yeah. Actually, the thing that it made me think of was Black Panther with the uh, little opening description of what Wakanda is.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that that's a decent comparison. I can see that.
0: I would argue that Hercules and Black Panther are much better movies than Red Alvarado, but um but similar ideas. Um, so yeah, it's it's a good way of introducing you to it. I wish the song was a little better.
1: Right. It kind of has like w- just the ending of the song where they just hold a note on Eldorado.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's I'll get into my thoughts on the music, but that is kind of my my issue with the uh, with this song and some of the other ones that it's kind of repetitive. But it does a good job, like we said, of introducing you to the to the world. And then you get to the two uh, main characters, Miguel and Tulio. Who for for some reason, I thought I was going to have a really hard time uh, remembering who was who. And say, okay, he's the blonde one and he's the brunette. And that's what I'm going to do to remember them. But I ended up somewhat remembering their names. So, yeah, no, Tulio. He's actually he has black hair, by the way. Black
1: hair, black hair tulio is the one with black hair
0: yes so what Which, did you see you...
1: when when i actually got their names mixed up
0: in my mind because i was like okay but but yeah anyway yeah um but yeah so played by kevin klein for tulio and kenneth Branagh for miguel uh how did you like them from like the from the get-go uh, I think that their, uh, introduction
1: is pretty fun. I, I, like I said, I mentioned that, you know, there was somebody I knew from work who was like, oh yeah, my sister could, you know, we could recite the entire, like opening with them playing with like the loaded dice. Um, I think they have a pretty good, um, I don't want to say back and forth cause like even though they definitely disagree, I feel like, I don't know, There's they get along more than a lot of comedic duos. It's not exactly like a
0: good cop, bad cop, or anything like that. Yeah, and I don't think one of them necessarily plays the straight man to the other.
1: No, I would, s- well, I would say that Tulio is more of the straight man, but not definitely not in an obvious way. He He's the one who's more like, this is how we're going to do things. And Miguel is the one who has more delusions of grandeur, but I, you know, it's not like one is
0: completely serious and the other one is completely wacky. Right. so, Julio is the one with the plans and Miguel is more of a free spirit, but they're not. Both of them aren't, you know, and neither one of them is a stiff. Like they, they both are pretty, um, fun and willing to joke around.
1: Right. And I feel like the movie would not have worked if one of them was completely serious. Cause then they would have been like, Oh, I mean, they're both con men and that, you know, that's, that's part of their character.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the, the really the, the biggest thing that Tulio does to make him somewhat of a straight man is continuing to remind Miguel to listen to that little voice. Right, right. Which I thought was fun. Although it made me think of Jimmy Cricket. I had to keep reminding myself, no, this is not. This is not, this is Disney. not a Disney movie, which I is important to note because I think when a lot of people see animated movies, they immediately think, wait, was that Disney? And this was not. Um. Yeah, but the how is the voice acting for you? Because I know that is always important for these animated movies.
1: Um, I think it's good. I don't think there's anything... I mean, I wouldn't say it's fantastic. I mean, this isn't the kind of movie you're going to go into and really like, wow, like that voice performance. But it's exactly what it needs to be. Um Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I will note that, so they're both supposed to be Spanish. <laughs> yes. Would it have made more sense to get Spanish actors instead of two British guys?
0: Um. Yes. I mean, <laughs> well, Kevin Kline's American. He's American? Yes.
1: Oh, okay. I thought he was British anyway, yeah, wouldn't it, would it have made more sense to get two Spanish guys? I mean, obviously, that's stereotypical, and I wouldn't necessarily have gone with him as Antonio Banderas, but they, they could have gone with any number of... I mean, it's not like the guys they chose were particularly like big box office names. They could have chosen pretty much anybody.
0: That's true. It is interesting that of all the people they've gone for, they went for them. Because, I mean...
1: I mean, it's interesting because they're both actually known for their more awardsy type work. With uh, Kevin Kline, he won like an Oscar for a fish called Wanda. He did some other movies in the '90s that people are kind of like well regarded. Um, and Kenneth Branagh is a Shakespeare guy. Right. And people are like, well, I think it's Henry V or whatever, and Hamlet. like, So yeah, they're, they're more kind of like the upper echelon of uh, actors. So it's interesting they chose
0: them. Yeah. They wouldn't be obvious picks for a number of reasons.
1: Well, except for the fact that Kevin of previously voiced a character in the Hunchback of Notre
0: Dame, so he at least, he had experience. Right. But other than that, they, I don't think were known no. particularly well for, for voice acting. I, I assume that Kenneth Browning did some other voice acting, but I can't find anything in my quick Wikipedia-ing right now.
1: But besides that, I mean... They all speak it in English anyway, so I guess it doesn't really matter. I
0: guess. No, I does question why the people
1: speak. in El Dorado speak the same language as them if they've never met anybody from Spain.
0: That is a good point. The movie is also sort of – it sort of winks by having them drop Spanish here and there.
1: Right. Very, very little Spanish.
0: Right. Like I think like elementary Spanish. Yeah, like, like Buenos Días and stuff like that. Exactly. So they're not really going that far to to show you, but it's kind of like a reminder. Um Yeah, I think I think the movie probably would have been I don't want to say better or more believable, but it was somewhat jarring or apparent that okay neither one of these guys sounds spanish so just a thought but but
1: but nobody sounds french in beauty and the beast for except you know they try their best when they say bonjour so who 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 cares
0: right except uh the candlestick
1: yeah except the candlestick
0: (laughs) um so yeah accents are lumiere thank you there you go thank yeah he's not just a candlestick he's got a name um, but yeah, accidents in animated movies are kind of iffy. But I think Kevin Klein and Kenneth Brown have really good chemistry, though. Like I was really like for, for neither one of them being really known for animated work. I thought they did excellent with the lines they were given. And I really got the sense that they were um, really close and able to really bounce each other out. Yeah, no, like I said, I enjoy I enjoyed them. Yeah. Um so one thing I know you mentioned before we pod or before we were recording um was that this movie has some basis in some uh some old Hollywood movies and I wonder if that shows in the characters. It Does to a degree and a little bit to the plot. Um,
1: so, uh, the road to El Dorado has inspiration, uh, takes inspiration, uh, just even just from the title, um, from the road to series starring Bing Crosby and, um, Bob Hope in the, you know, the forties and fifties, um, which, very similar plots. Um, usually con men or dishonest guys, you know, getting in over their heads, you know, you know, trying to get rich or something like that. Um, I actually watched, uh, before this movie, I watched, um, road to Bali, um, where, uh, It's sort of a similar plot to this where like they meet uh, a certain tribe and um, they aren't seen as gods, but they are like guests and they're trying to recover a treasure and um, there's a girl that they're both interested in. um, So stuff like that. I will say that at least the one that I watched, there are seven of these movies. Oh, geez,
0: that's a lot. Um,
1: The one that I watched was a lot more scatterbrained than this movie. Like, you you guys think that, like, Deadpool broke the fourth wall. You have not seen Bob Hope (laughs) and Bing Crosby break the fourth wall. Where they're like, how did you get out of that? He looks at the camera and they just go and... You know, he pantomimes what he did and then he comes back and then Bing Crosby just shrugs at the camera. <laughs> and and just really uh. crazy stuff like, um, like it's a 15 second gag where they're like, there's Humphrey Bogart. And it, it, wouldn't you know, there's Humphrey Bogart pulling the boat from the African queen. <laughs> You're just like, what is going on? And then they make this joke about like, an Oscar, and he said, You already run yours because Bing Crosby had won for uh, for going my way, and then he's just like, It's so many like crazy, crazy things. So, compared to th- that movie, this movie just stays way more on topic, but um, oh. and again, I can't speak to the other other movies, but um and um but i can definitely see the so i don't know if you remember uh family guy had a bunch of road to episodes with brian and stewie um oh, I, they take I, inspiration from that and given uh uh seth MacFarlane's taste in music as well as his uh sense of humor i can definitely definitely see the influence
0: okay interesting
1: but uh yeah um there these guys aren't quite as i mean in the in the road to at least in the road to bali like they are really like at each other like one of them has to go you know recover the treasure from a giant squid and like they try to like get trick the other one into doing and stuff like that like compared to them Miguel and Tulio are much better friends.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah. Because even when they're fighting, at least in the first part, it's a lot of stage fighting in order to. Right.
1: Yeah. No, and that there's just like, you know, you're going to, you know, get the treasure from the giant squid and you may die (laughs) and stuff like that. Or, you know, they, you know, they both promised, you know, two girls that they were going to marry them. And they're like, no, I won't marry you. But so and so will marry, marry you. It's just like they're constantly backstabbing, and like their their banter is much more very very fast paced. I I almost felt like I was watching His Girl Friday.
0: Okay, yeah. The I mean, Tulio and Miguel, they they. But, have but there some are some thi-
1: There are some things, and that that part in the beginning where they're singing and kicking each other and stuff like that. That's like directly from road to Bali.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, this is definitely one of those cases where I would have no idea going into this, that it it had such a, a connection to, to film history. So that's interesting to think about.
1: No. Yeah. It's, um, You got to remember, I mean, these movies are for kids, but, you know, the adults are the people who make them. And they, you know, they are influenced by things that
0: they saw when they were younger. True. Good point. But I guess I just always thought of this as being a silly movie that. Oh, it it definitely (laughs) is. I mean, yeah, it is a silly movie. Um, But it's important to remember that there was a lot of thought put into it. Right. Um, and that that does change the way I, I do see those characters, I guess, because I hadn't really considered that they are both. They're, they're they are very friendly and really the, the, the most drama from the, the movie comes when they start having a conflict, but that's not till till later. Um, so before I don't want to see, I'm going to jump ahead and I don't want to do that because I know that annoys you. Um no, before we get that, so they are in Spain. They are cheating at a game of dice and then um, kind of make their way on the ship of Cortez to um, go to North America um, unintentionally. And it just from there, they have a map that they want in dice and they gradually get to El Dorado. And that is where they meet Shell, who is played by or voiced by Rosie Perez, um, who is one of the um, women in the tribe. And gradually uh, she becomes kind of part of their team and helps them fool the rest of the tribe into thinking they're gods because you see them coming on the horse and it looks just like. Um, these big stone tablets they have um, that look just like the opening sequence where they show the gods make El Dorado, and so that's why everyone thinks that they are gods. So uh, we, we've talked a lot about Tulio and Miguel. How do you feel about Chell?
1: Um, I don't. I, I she has a very interesting dynamic. I don't know dynamics too. Once she gets involved, like the character, like power relationships, like change a lot. um I'm glad that they added a character like her because I feel like if it was just them, it would not have, you know, been as interesting. I mean, also, I mean, it it, it provides more like they can't, you know, they need her to, you know tell them all their customs and stuff like that
0: um right and just I know you mentioned that in the road to movies or at least the one you watched that um like they would interact with women and that would kind of make them go at each other or change their dynamic is that similar to this yeah um
1: I would say it's more at least in the road to Bali it's more it's more throughout, like Tulio sort of no Miguel sort of mentions that he's interested in Chell and then kind of just drops it, as opposed to in the movie in Road to Bali, like they're both until the very end actively you know trying to get with uh, uh the you know the the lady okay um, or the I think it's just the princess in that movie
0: okay yeah the, yeah it's only hinted at at the beginning that Miguel might be interested but he quickly drops it once Tulio tells him to, to stay focused, which is, I guess, part of the, the comedy then that it's a uh, Twilio not doing as he says. <laughs> but I think you're, you're right that the dynamic with Chell makes the, the basic idea of them going in and being these, Um, these partner con artists a lot more fun. And I think that's kind of a typical gag whenever you have a a duo trying to pull off some misadventure. Um, I know I was not part of it, but when you and Bill talked about uh, Dumb and Dumber, I know that's another example of how you've got a pair of buddies who, um, once they meet a woman, things kind of go, um, sideways for them I guess
1: right but if for them it's not exactly it turns out that she's not really the main thing driving them apart so much as Miguel's attachment to the city which is a kind of a nice subversion
0: that's true I, I do have some concerns about how they use Chela though, because it is kind of sticking with that trope of, Oh wow, these guys are such good friends. And also in a, sudden, wow, there's a woman and now they aren't getting along anymore, which is just a very tired trope. And it, I think Chela has some fun moments. I really like her, her attitude and she's very sarcastic, which is always, um, really charming and how, more like street-wise she is than them. But a lot of times it feels like she's kind of forgotten and just thrown in there to make drama for Tulio and Miguel.
1: She's not completely developed as a character. I mean, they don't really develop. It's not like we learn how Miguel and Tulio became, you know, con artists the same way we don't learn how Chell, became a thief or why she's a thief It's just, that's who their characters are. And you could say that's just the way the movie is, or you could
0: say that's a missed opportunity to develop the characters. True. And I, I would argue it's a missed opportunity, especially because Chell is the only named woman in the whole movie.
1: Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, yeah. I do. Um, something I was reading from the animators is her design. So she's very um, they designed her very curvy to sort of be a uh, antithesis of some of the characters that were coming out in Disney like Belle and I guess uh, uh, Ariel I see you know they wanted to show their appreciation for curvy women I guess
0: okay that I, that did not cross my mind yeah, that's what I read Okay. Well, if that's the case, I appreciate that. I Maybe I was coming in a bit more... No, I mean, that doesn't mean... I think your criticisms are definitely valid. Well, I was, I was coming in from a bit more, especially the way she's animated of, are they objectifying her?
1: Right. And at the same time, like, well, just, you know, it's part of the story that, you know, she, she's, you know, and Tulio were a thing, so... Right. And
0: that's, I mean, Hey, you get
1: to see Miguel and Tulio's butts.
0: (laughs) That's true. But Chell doesn't have a lot of agency over time. She starts off as being not a femme fatale, but someone who can really throw a huge wrench into their plans and really take advantage of them. And she quickly just seems to fall in love with Tulio, which I don't, remember i didn't remember them falling in love or you know this attraction yeah i don't remember that either and so at first i thought oh Chell's you know trying to play them against each other and she's using them in order to get what she wants which i think would have been a lot more compelling and would have done more for her character if she was manipulating them to get what she wanted right i feel
1: like if they did that though then I think it would work better if, even though, like I said, even though they're con men, uh, Tulio and Miguel are still likable. Um, I feel like if they went that angle, they would sort of make them more like uh, like bad guys. Like, like here are these guys thrown in this situation and they're being selfish and this is what happens to them
0: because they're selfish. True, and then it also wouldn't necessarily make shell any less of a trope. Because right, she's just be that, a femme to tell. Yeah,
1: um, but that's a. But I kind of you know I kind of want to see the version of that movie the movie that we'll never
0: get. Yeah, i I like that point you mentioned though of how the movie views Miguel and Tulio because it doesn't seem to be that critical of them
1: right it's not like yeah you know being a con man's kind of a you know you shouldn't do that okay yeah it it doesn't seem to I they mean, never it, really get punished right but it like part of me kind of likes that a kid's movie doesn't have to be like listen you you can't do any of this stuff it's very moralistic but like I mean, the worst thing that we see them do is steal the map. So we we have no clue if they did anything worse than that.
0: I would argue that pretending to be gods and taking advantage of a whole tribe is worse.
1: Oh, definitely. But, I mean, you could argue that anybody with that much gold would be at least a little tempted.
0: Yeah. But that's the thing that I would have maybe liked to see more of a a moral play is, is it really right for these two guys to be going in? And
1: I mean, the answer is already no. I don't need, you don't need to finish that
0: question. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's not, it's, it's a rhetorical question, but the movie doesn't seem interested in it. Right. Because no one from the tribe seemingly finds, we, we find out over time or over time, the, the high priest, um, Uh, Tesla Khan does find out and then tries to kill them, but no one else other than Chell seems to know. Although I think it's hinted that the chief might know. Yes. I I picked up on that too. Right. Because he, he says that um, the air is human. Yes. And that's a line that um, Tulia Miguel said earlier. Um, And so it's implying that he knows that they're just human, which I thought was good because it made the chief, seem a lot more competent. Um, right. Um,
1: I think we should note that the chief is played by Edward James Alamos.
0: Yes. I, you, could you speak more about him? Cause I don't know him.
1: Um, I mean, I, I don't know all of his work. He, most people probably know him from Battlestar Galactica, but he was also in uh, Blade Runner uh he made a brief appearance in the sequel as well um okay he was in stand to deliver, which is like a movie where he's like a teacher and like i think a more like rough school or something like that it's one of those kind of movies um he he i i i, just, I, I
0: don't let me be the one to tell you his whole career but <laughs> I, you know more than i did um yeah, I think it I think it's important to show that the chief knows to make it seem wow and to make it not seem like wow like these um this tribe is, you know, so stupid. How could they be fooled into thinking that? Cuz I think that is that's the thing that bothers me most about this movie is that it really shows these two characters who are conmen get everything they want for a time at least. And it never really rebukes them or says, like, wow, like you shouldn't be doing this. And it never really uses the people of the tribe as anything other than, Yep, these are just a bunch of people who are worshiping them and giving them all their gold, which is an unfortunate way to present any group.
1: Right, Um, I think there is a you know a certain cultural insensitivity to this movie. I would argue that even, I mean, people have said things about Aladdin and all these other Disney movies and animated movies. They, uh, I mean, these movies aren't spotless. I, I I wouldn't. There's definitely no malice I would find in this movie. I think it's definitely. (laughs) I think it's better than The Road to Bali, where I'm pretty sure very few of those actors. Right. You know, Indonesian. I'm pretty sure most of them were white, Um, but.
0: No, but even thinking of a movie that this also reminded me of. um, uh, Pocahontas, like that is a movie that is much more willing to critique. The Eurocentric view that it imposes on true, the rest the but it era. still glosses over a lot. So it does, yeah. Oh, Pocahontas is very problematic. Uh, um. Yeah, it's that, that.
1: was a tough. Where I enjoy the movie, but compared to all the other Disney movies of that era, has a lot of, you know, issues with certain things. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, Color, Color of the Wind is or Colors of the Wind is is probably like the best. It might be the best Disney song ever. If I'm being honest. Oh uh, really? Oh, it's it's really good. If you ever like actually sat down and listened to it or watched the sequence, it's really something else. Not just the 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 song, but the lyrics. Uh,
0: that's just my opinion. But no, that's fair. Um, I guess while we're talking about music, um, one thing I did not remember at all or, never knew about this movie is that the the music was done by um, Hans Zimmer and that the songs were done by Tim Rice and Elton John, which I had no idea. And um,
1: I think all of them worked on the Lion King uh, because the producer of this movie, Jeffrey Katzenberg was a
0: Disney guy. Right. So, did did you know when I didn't this started, know. that it was Elton John? No,
1: I I might have when I looked this movie up for the schedule saw, but I
0: totally forgot. Um, yeah, but, I honestly didn't know it was Elton John until the the credits. Right.
1: Um, but if I'm being honest, we were talking about the quality of the movie. This
0: it's not nearly on the level of The Lion King, like at all. And that's somewhat of an unfair comparison because The Lion King is really great. Like all of its songs are beyond anything else. All the songs in Lion King are iconic. Right. And so it's hard to compare iconic. It's, it's hard to compare something like this to something so iconic. But, but. I,
1: but I usually, besides, and we'll get to the animation in a little bit, when it comes to animated movies like this, usually the things that I judge it the most are... Are the animation and the songs, and this movie just um, the the one song. Did have a list of songs? Are you looking at the list of songs? I've got a list of songs. Yeah, which which one are you thinking of? The the one where they f- are enjoying themselves being gods. What's that one called?
0: uh It's tough to be a god.
1: It's tough to be a god. Okay, so I that's my favorite out of all these ones, and it reminded me a lot of. I just can't wait to be king. Uh, just the pacing of the song and the visuals. Oh yeah. It got real trippy. <laughs> so, um, I really like that one, but like the rest of the songs, like I said, the opening, is not even really like a song and the rest, they kind of go like the Tarzan route where they just have some guy singing. I don't know. It's not Elton John. No, it is Elton John. It is Elton John. Okay.
0: Yeah. And that, apparently that was intentional from what I read. Oh, they wanted to be like Tarzan? Not that they wanted to be like Tarzan, but they wanted to break the tradition, or somewhat tradition, that all of these songs had to be sung by the characters. I don't think it works for me.
1: It is a bit... It worked in Tarzan, because nobody, except for the band, the the one song in the, the camp... Where all the gorillas are doing stuff. that all the songs are uh you know sung by Phil Collins, so uh but it just didn't it didn't work for me in this one. And yeah. yet he sang in this one, but he didn't do he didn't do the in movie version of uh Line Thing. Yeah, he 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 did the the end credits version of Can You Feel the Love tonight, but he did the in movie versions of the songs in this. So I don't know. Yeah.
0: Now, I never I never wanna uh criticize Elton John because he's obviously a Sir Elton John. Sir Sir Elton John. Not only is he knighted, but he's also a genius. Um you know, he's he's an incredible performer and artist. And he but... will he will
1: do he will cameo or contribute seemingly to anything He's been he he's been in everything from Brother Bear to South Park. So I mean, oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, wow. But this is n- yeah, not this Brother not Bear. I'm sorry. I'm the uh, Country Bears. Sorry, oh, that, that's a that's a Disney faux pas on on me.
0: I think you went from obscured to super obscure. Yeah, yeah. Country um, Bears, Christopher Walken. Look it up. Oh gosh. I vaguely remember that and wish I forgot it. Um but yeah, this is this is not Elton John's best. I agree that It's Tough to Be a God is probably the catchiest of the songs because it's the most fast-paced. Um and it was the one that I watched this last night, and that was the one that was stuck in my head for most of the the day afterwards. Although I also um enjoyed the, the trail we blaze a bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That one is
0: one of the better ones. Yeah. But
1: there, see, when you're, when you're raised on Disney movies, like there's a high standard.
0: Yes. And when you're talking about Elton John, there's a high standard. Right. Yeah. I mean, but one thing I want to say is because I just read this and I find it wild. Um, apparently for the song Friends Never Say Goodbye, the one where um Tulio and Miguel have their um their breakup. Um the <laughs> take a guess who's providing the backup vocals. I have no I have no clue. The Backstreet Boys. What? yeah they're uncredited because of apparently a record label problem um credit to Wikipedia for that um but yeah that is the Backstreet Boys apparently so I had no idea that Elton John ever worked with Backstreet Boys but now I know so yeah just I think the music is gonna probably stop stop playing in my head if I listen to any frozen two songs again, because those are a lot more memorable. So let's see. Uh, you mentioned the animation briefly. How was the animation for you in general?
1: Overall, I think it's pretty good. Um, I think there was a certain over reliance on, and I mean, they hide it well compared to other movies that came out earlier. But a lot of the environments are definitely CG and you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, my opinion is if you're going to mix it, mix 2D and 3D, that it should be something you couldn't really do without the 3D. And there are things like them just hiding in barrels that are just like, that's CG. <laughs> and it's like That didn't need to be CG.
0: That was so distracting and pointless.
1: Um, but, um, I don't know, there are some, uh, I, I, yeah, that, that, overall, I like the animation, um, but it's, it's, again, not to compare everything to the Lion King, it's not quite at the level of the Lion King, and even the CG integration, like, we when we did our podcast, I told you, like, the Stampede was, like, CG, and you're like, you didn't even notice. Nope. Like, um so yeah um but you know i have a very you know we don't really get this kind of animation anymore there still is traditional animation kind of a lot of it's flash animation for tv
0: right but in terms of film yeah like this
1: kind of high quality animation you just really don't get like the last movie that had like any like digital ink and paint that was like of note was uh The Princess and the Frog which came out in like 2009. Yeah, so, that's what I was
0: going to say. Um, which is disappointing because it's a very beautiful art style. Yeah. Um, Though I I would say I think the animation for this is good, like you said but somewhat boring. Yeah,
1: I feel like One of the things with all the Disney movies is they're all done with like the pre, no, post Little Mermaid, they all were digital ink and paint, but they would still draw them by hand and then scan them. But they all, uh, they would do different styles. So Aladdin looks very different from Beauty and
0: the Beast, and Hercules looks very different from Tarzan. Yes. And I, I mentioned I watched Hercules recently, and that was something I noticed. That, it, and ha- that,
1: that tries to be very Greek in its appearance.
0: Right. And I don't think this movie really tries to incorporate the cultures it's representing. Right. There's no Spanish flair to it. Right. Or it's not looking at um, really Mayan or Aztec culture to inform what things are looking like other than um the some, of the, some of the yeah the setting i mean the setting um, i mean
1: and there is some good animation like i really like when they they think that they're just looking at a rock and it reveals itself to be a slab of gold i thought that was really
0: nice yeah that was that was cool um and i think there are moments where they have fun with it um like I think the near the end when they have the sequence where they're going through the the waterfall uh on their boat I thought that was really well animated You and, see I don't
1: think I didn't no? think it looked as good it's better than say the cave of wonders in the land but like I don't know I didn't think I wasn't as
0: impressed but Okay no. I think the other thing that distracted me was that there were things I noticed from other movies that came out somewhat after or somewhat before that did better than this one. Um the the magic that the high priest uses is very similar to the magic that the um voodoo man does in Princess and the Frog. Um but it looks a lot better in Princess and the Frog. Right. Um,
1: And that's sort of interesting. Uh, I think we should get a little bit into the fact that this movie, I mean, this is back in two thousand nineteen ninety-nine dollars. This movie costs 90 million dollars. Which is nothing to sneeze at. It did not make even 90 million dollars at the box office.
0: Yeah, that's not great. Yeah, so based off what I'm looking at, it made 76.4 million. Bomb. Um. yeah, that is not great. So if you haven't heard of this movie, there's probably a reason why you didn't see it. Right. Um,
1: and, but it's, it, it, this movie marks a very, this is a very, interesting point in animation we mentioned that the you know the traditional animation you know whether it's hand completely hand-drawn or digital ink and paint has definitely gone by the wayside um for the most part um i mean if you talk about like over in japan they still have you know 2d animations still present in anime but here in the states it's you know like again a lot of it's flash animation um any big budget kind of movie is usually all CG. um, And a a reason for that is because of the next big DreamWorks movie that came out after this one, a little movie called Shrek. Oh. However, before this movie two years ago, there was a very high-grossing movie That was traditionally animated, and that was called The Prince of Egypt. Right. And which we have both seen. Uh, I saw it again more recently, and I think that was actually the highest grossing non-Disney animated movie until Shrek came out. Mm. And I remember you really liked that movie. That movie, I wasn't as impressed when I first saw it. Watching it again, though... It is really, really good. It, um, it also has like, an
0: amazing voice cast.
1: The, it blows this movie out of the water. If you've not seen The Prince of Egypt, please. I, I just looked on Netflix. It's not there anymore, and I'm a little disappointed. But please do yourself a favor. Even, you know, it's not like a religious movie. You know, it is based on the Passover story, but. It's just a all around really good movie. Um, I think the animation works a little bit better. Um, like you said, the voice cast is is great. It has uh, uh, Val Kilmer, Ray Fines, uh Michelle Pfeiffer, Danny Glover, uh, uh, Patrick Stewart. And Jeff it's like, Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum's got like songs by like Mariah Carey and stuff like that. It's and and Whitney Houston. is just it i that is e- even I don't know as much as I like Shrek I think again I have not seen as how to train your dragon DreamWorks yes at least I have not seen those movies but I think the Prince of Egypt is still peak like the p- the height of DreamWorks animation as far as just quality
0: uh, <laughs> it's also like their first animated feature. So that's right. I
1: mean, didn't they also make ants, the Woody Allen movie that came that out also, the same with, came out the same year as bugs life. It, they, yeah. they tried a lot of weird things, but you know, Shrek, Shrek was the future and Sid bad in the seven seas with Brad Pitt was oh. stuck in the past. We were talking about other
0: failures. Uh, I remember seeing that in theater. We were the only ones there. No, there was like one
1: other person. Okay,
0: fine. There was one other person, but we were almost the only ones there.
1: So, yeah. um, I think this, this movie, like I said, it was, it was a really weird spot in animation. Um, Disney uh, did well with, um, later this year with uh, the Emperor's New Groove. But... um, They had a string of like flops after that. They had Atlantis, Lost Empire, and again, if you're fans of these movies, I'm not, you know, ragging on them. I'm just saying how they did, you know, financially. Treasure Planet, Home on the Range. The only like, like the last like big hit for
0: them and was Lilo and Stitch, which is great. Oh, Lilo and Stitch is a classic, but it like you said, it's the only one. From the early to mid-2000s, that was really beloved.
1: Right. It, 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 Pixar changed the dynamic with Toy Story so much, and then just kept releasing hit after hit. And then when DreamWorks started doing stuff with Shrek, and that really worked, and I haven't seen the other—I've seen Shrek 1 and 2, I haven't seen the other ones, but the, you know they made four of those movies, and it really stuck— CG is is the norm, and I'm not ragging on CG, like um you mentioned you watch Frozen too. I think Frozen, the first one at least, I probably wouldn't have animated it any differently. I think the way that like the ice and stuff, you know, looks in 3D works better for that movie. But, you know, I am a little sad that we don't have more of a uh a variety like it was in the, uh, you know, early 2000s. Right. And th- th- Because CG, as good as it is, will
0: always age more. As the technology gets better.
1: Right. I mean, you look at the faces on those characters in Toy Story that aren't the toys. they're It's
0: a little rough. It's a little rough. Yeah. But then if you go back and you watch Snow White... You know, it still looks still looks great, even though it's decades old at this point. But yeah, this it is, I think, really important to think of this movie in terms of that context of what else was going on, because. Yeah, Disney really wasn't doing much during the early 2000s, except Lilo and Stitch. Um, There's a reason why Michael Eisner is no longer press. <laughs> <laughs> Although, like you said, Aaron, if people like Atlantis and Treasure Planet, I will not you know oh yeah absolutely I mean um
1: and maybe those are for a podcast for another day but you know
0: yeah and so it was it was a time when animation was changing and I think the road to El Dorado shows that studios that weren't moving ahead with CG were realizing pretty quickly that they had to for a variety of reasons and you know, I, I don't know if the animation style has anything to to do with why those movies start going out of vogue as much as, you know, the success of the, the CG ones did.
1: Right. Um, as I think we're nearing the end of this podcast, I just want to indulge a rumor that I'm not sure is true,
0: but okay. I just wanted
1: to mention it anyway. So, I haven't been able to find any concrete evidence. I've heard some people say that Miguel and Tulio were supposed to be a romantic couple, and that the studio
0: made them change it. (laughs) It sounds like you're on an investigation or something.
1: No, I'm just saying, I know for a fact, I was reading stuff, that they were originally shooting for more of a PG-13 rating, but that they toned it down, but... What do you think about that? Do you think there's any evidence of that? Or do you think it would have made it a more interesting movie?
0: Oh, I mean definitely would have made it a more interesting movie. Um because I think it it changes the dynamic. One. Two, it would have been really progressive for its time, which would have been good. Um and it it would have made it more notable. I think at the time, it would have received backlash for it, for sure. But I think it would have made it a lot. It, it, then it if if really that had happened, then everybody would have known Road to El Dorado. Instead right. of
1: us talking about it like you don't remember it.
0: Exactly. Rather than it being a deep cut, as Bill called it, it would be memorable. And no, I I really do think they should have gone that route. And I don't, was, But again, I don't know
1: if that actually was the plan. That's just well, a rumor.
0: Well, regardless of whether it was in the cards or not, I there were several moments when I when I was thinking I wish they did that because I do think the chemistry between Tulio and Miguel was so good. Um, like when they're in the the longboat together and they both think they're going to die, and they're talking about how each one of them made <laughs> the other's life an adventure and made the other one's life rich. Like that was really corny, but <laughs> I really funny. loved it. Yeah. It was, it was good. So I think that if the movie was braver or if the studio was braver, they would have done that.
1: If they were and, braver, they would have released a home kit to that sport they were playing.
0: Oh, yeah. We really haven't talked about that sport, but that's where it was. That was the thing I think both of us remember most about this movie.
1: Yeah. The, the fact that like, Gods don't bleed. I remember that, even though it's been like 20 years.
0: Hmm. Is that? Is it? I don't think I, it's based you, off a real sport. I don't think so either. How would you just, well, actually it is. Oh. Yeah. At least according to Wikipedia, it is based on the Mesoamerican ball game. Yeah. So apparently it is a real sport. Hmm. Okay. I will. I was going to say, what sports to remind you? But we don't have to because it, it's actual real sport. Okay, so they did do their research. That's good.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, w- I was reading they did more research for Prince of Egypt, but apparently they did some research
0: for this. Yeah. They didn't have Wikipedia back then, so it was a little bit harder. Yeah. So, Aaron, if if someone has not watched this movie, would you recommend they watch it? Uh, I, I'm
1: really on the fence. Like I feel like maybe because, okay, let me put it this way. Um, if I'm recommending, I I mean, I obviously, if I'm recommending DreamWorks movies you haven't seen at the top is the Prince of Egypt.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: If you're still wanting to watch something else, I would recommend this. Sinbad I nobody even remembers
0: because <laughs> no one else was in the theater except us and one other person
1: right if you do remember it leave a comment but uh, you won't <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that a challenge yes Um. yeah I I don't think I'd recommend this movie I think other than nostalgia there wasn't much that would have brought me to it there are things I liked about it Mainly the chemistry between Miguel and Tulio, but I don't know if that's enough. Right. Um, so I would say if you've seen this movie and remembered enjoying it, go ahead and look at it again. But if you've never seen it, it's probably not going to do too much for you. Right. Um, it's Certainly not the only
1: El Dorado story. It's a very common favorite, whether we're talking about this or... Uh, I was actually just watching a movie on the Criterion Collection that was uh, Aguirre, The Wrath of God, which is about finding uh, El Dorado, which I did not know was about that. Um, things went better for them um, or in this movie. In that movie, they all died or went crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, which may have been a fitting end for Tolio and Miguel, as much as I think they have good chemistry.
1: Right. I I also watched Eraserhead, um, and didn't get Nightmares, uh, even though I watched it at night. So I consider that an absolute
0: win. (laughs) I consider that a risky decision. (laughs) So yeah, Road to El Dorado, celebrating its 20th anniversary, probably skip it. But if you feel like seeing a adventure movie with some basis in old Hollywood, it wouldn't be the worst way to spend your afternoon.
1: No, absolutely not. Um, but um, do you have anything else to say before we sign off? Uh, I know yeah. you just recorded a podcast with uh, Bill and Alex.
0: Yeah. So um, if anyone wants to hear more of me speaking, which uh, bless you, I appreciate it. Um <laughs> There is a new podcast from the Pop Break you can listen to. It's the third in our monthly installments of the TV Talk podcast where we talk about what's coming up on TV and what we've been enjoying so far. So this past month, we talked about um, Devs, which was the new FX on Hulu show, as well as um, a few other things that all of us had been interested in. Um, I have no idea what we're talking about next month because I have no idea what new shows are coming out next month, if any new shows are coming out next month. So we'll see. Um, and then as always, make sure to check out the pop break, um, and any of your go to podcast feeds for the latest podcast coming out, including the, um, the winner still is podcast from Matt and Marissa, which has been really enjoyable so far this season right uh and where can people find you um living under a rock probably um i as i think i mentioned on our last podcast recorded i am not really doing much on social media right now um so i'm probably not tweeting much of what i'm writing but you can definitely find me on the pop break um if you want to check out um any of my couch pit articles and maybe in a month i'll be back on social media but you know maybe I'll just want to continue to hide from the world and I won't go back on. We'll see what happens. Um, Aaron, where can people find, you? uh, you can find me at
1: Aaron Sarnecki on Twitter. Um, I, you know, I, I'm definitely more active than Joshua. So that's the plus. Um, uh, I don't have anything in the pipeline right now for new reviews. Uh, but, uh, if there might be something in a few weeks, maybe not, uh, Definitely have more podcasts planned. uh, So keep an
0: ear out for those. Yeah. So uh, I can't remember what we're planning to to talk about next month if we have anything planned. But uh, make sure to check into your podcast feeds and hopefully we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, um, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, take care and try to avoid any um, giant jaguar statues while you're at it. So long.